Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Repeat after me. I, Kevin, take you, Susan. I, Kevin, take you, Susan. This is Jamie from Progressive. Shh, Jamie. No, it's all right. I can talk. Progressive protects you 24-7, which means you can contact us anytime. Hmm. I'm getting a loud shh sound, so I'm going to talk louder. What can I help you with today? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Progressive can do that. Ugh, there's that noise again. Hold on. Let me put you on speaker. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Stacking the Box podcast. I am your host, Matt Verderam. We are thankful that you've joined us here on the inaugural edition, and we hope to be keeping you company throughout the NFL year. And we start in July because, let's face it, we're only a few weeks from training camp, and already there are some headlines developing. And let's jump right into it, okay? The Denver Broncos, one of the quarterback battles to watch, one of many across the league, and we'll touch on all of them here. But we start in Denver Trevor Simeon was a starter last year. He was a seventh-round pick a few years ago out of Northwestern. And everybody thought last year going into camp, look, Mark Sanchez, he's the veteran. The Broncos trade away a pick, granted a seventh-round pick for him. But everybody felt that Sanchez was going to be that guy and Simeon and Lynch were going to battle. And if one of them really stood out, maybe they'd be able to get the job. Well, as it turns out, Mark Sanchez was terrible in the preseason. Trevor Simeon showed some life. Paxton Lynch showed what we expected. He showed a strong arm, but he also showed some serious inconsistencies, maybe hadn't quite gotten the playbook down. And so Trevor Simeon, second-year guy at the time, was able to take the job. And he didn't do a terrible job. The Broncos went 9-7, and seven, but they did miss the playoffs. And in Denver, especially since John Elway has been the GM and president there, that just quite is not good enough. So Simeon, he started 14 games last year. And he completed 59.8% of his throws, 18 TDs, 10 picks. When you really look at it, that is the stat line of a very good backup or a very marginal starter. And I think that's what Simeon is. At the end of the day, he doesn't have the strongest arm. He's not the most mobile. His accuracy is good in the short to intermediate ranges. He's not, however, very accurate down the field. He's willing to throw down the field. But his accuracy does not make defenses really respect the long ball. He had one game in Cincinnati where he hit on multiple deep throws. But other than that, he really struggled at times. And so, you know, last year only rushed for 57 yards. So he's not somebody who's going to break and and beat you with his feet. And you also have to be concerned about the shoulder injuries that he had. You know, last year he did miss a couple games, had to leave another one early. He is six foot three, but he's only 215 pounds. And the Broncos don't have a good offensive line. Garrett Bowles, the first-round pick, you know, like what he brings to the table. He's already 25 years old, so while that's maybe not great long-term, it's good in the short term. However, you also have to wonder, new head coach coming in, okay, Vance Joseph, does he – push to bring in the rookie and just go from there he's going to have a little bit of rope Joseph's not going anywhere it's not as though this is a Jim Tom Sula situation the Broncos are willing to be patient and you'd think that with Lynch being a first round pick on that rookie deal they would like to bring him in we've heard some reports and we're going to talk to Benjamin Albright next who's out of Denver an NFL insider he'll give us his take on what's going on with the Broncos but it appears that Lynch has a little bit of an upper hand headed into training camp but He's going to have to prove that he can be more consistent than he was at times last year. When he got into the games, he really struggled recognizing coverages. It was obvious if you watched the film. He started a couple of games. He was bad against Jacksonville, and that's something to watch moving forward. But again, 
Denver has a very intriguing situation because Simeon is at least a capable quarterback, if nothing else. Moving on to the Houston Texans, that's going to be another situation to watch. And you have Tom Savage, who has only thrown 92 passes in his career. And he's been there for three years, this being his fourth now, coming out of pit, mid-round pick. Houston has continually said that it likes Savage. But you have to wonder really how much. You know, the, the Texans gave up a first-round pick next year to move up to get Deshaun Watson. And Watson, of course, national championship with Clemson. He torched Alabama in both of those championship games. And when you watch Watson, there are certainly some question marks to be answered. He doesn't have a very strong arm. A lot of times with him, his accuracy is dependent upon being able to float a ball into a spot, which is easier to do in college than it is in the NFL, of course, with better, quicker, faster, stronger athletes. But Savage, 27 years old, where is the upside for Tom Savage? What is it really going to be for him? You'd have to think that he's probably, again, he's maybe at best a Trevor Simeon. He's probably a good backup at best. And Deshaun Watson is clearly their future. Whether or not he turns out to be a really good player, well, hey, that we're going to have to find out. But I don't think there's any doubt that Deshaun Watson is the guy that general manager Rick Smith, head coach Bill O'Brien, that they're pinning their hopes on. And so you have to guess that Watson, if all things are equal in training camp, is going to get the best look. And I think if you're Houston, you're a team now that's gone nine and seven the last couple of years. You've won the division the last two seasons. You want to play. At Progressive, you can get 24 7 protection, even if you break the space time continuum. We did it. We time traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24 7, but we just created an eight day week, and it's 24 7 coverage, not 24 8. We got to go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round the clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Playoff game last year, but it took playing Connor Cook to do it. it was, the Texans were outmatched against the Pats. They were crushed by the Chiefs two years ago. So, yeah, Houston might suffer some growing pains. Maybe if Watson starts, they go 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9, and nine, but maybe you're really jump-starting the future where with Tom Savage, maybe you go 9-7 and seven again, and that might not even be good enough to win the AFC South this year. And if it is... What are you really doing? You're probably going to play whoever doesn't win the West out of Oakland and Kansas City. And assuming those teams are healthy, Houston's probably an underdog at home. So Deshaun Watson, there's been a lot of talk of how good he's been in OTAs. I would not be shocked. In fact, I'd be a little surprised if Watson didn't win the job coming straight out of camp. And speaking of Houston quarterbacks and rookies, you turn to the Cleveland Browns and you turn to Brock Osweiler and Deshaun Kaiser. Now, look, it's, it's July, and we've heard all through late May and June with the OTAs and the mandatory minicamp how great both guys look. Osweiler, he's really making an impression on Hugh Jackson. Kaiser's really come along. But let's be honest. Let's just be real and get rid of the optimism that comes with the early summer months. Okay. Brock Osweiler was atrocious last year. He wasn't mediocre. He wasn't decent. He threw 15 touchdowns and 16 picks, and he had a yards per attempt of 5.8. That is awful. That is one of the worst marks over the last handful of years. And you also have to consider, you know, yes, it was a first year in the system, and yes, Houston didn't have incredible weapons around him, but they have DeAndre Hopkins. They have Lamar Miller. I mean, the Texans have enough that Brock Osweiler should have been able to go in there, 20 touchdowns, 10 picks, you know, a, a... completion rate around 60 something and maybe a yards per attempt 
at six and a half, six point seven five, to be at five point eight is just simply inexcusable. And so you wonder really if Osweiler's in this conversation to truly be the starter. And if I'm the Browns, look, you're gonna be a terrible team anyway. The Browns are rebuilding again, but Deshaun Kaiser, if the if the hype is real and Hugh Jackson and his staff feels like Kaiser can be something, then you have to roll with him. Look, at the end of the day, Cleveland has one big advantage for a young quarterback. Cleveland has a very good offensive line. Okay, Joel Batonio, he's coming back, resigned the extension. Kevin Zeitz are coming in, J.C. Treader coming in, and the best left tackle in the last 20 years in Joe Thomas. That is a very, very good front wall, and that should give Kaiser some time, let him go through his reads a little bit. Look, he's going to take his lumps, even if he turns out to be a great quarterback. But again, similar to Houston, why not jumpstart the future a little bit? The Texans, they at least have to worry about the fact that that offensive line is not that strong. But Cleveland has a very good offensive line. They have a good receiver in Kenny Britt, who's a veteran who can bring Kaiser along a little bit. Corey Coleman going into his second year, if he can get right. That's an interesting scenario. And I think if you're the Browns, you're treading water with a Cody Kessler or Brock Osweiler, at least with Deshaun Kaiser, you're giving your guys a chance. Now... With all that being said, a couple other quick situations to watch. Kansas City. Alex Smith is going to be the starter this year. But it's going to be probably only for this year. And unless Patrick Mahomes is just out of his mind in the preseason, this is Alex Smith's job. I think there's been some idea that, well, maybe if Mahomes comes in, he shows promise, maybe the Chiefs move on because they've cut Jeremy Macklin, of course, the firing of John Dorsey. Some people starting to feel nationally, I think that, this might be a little bit of a reload year for the Chiefs, but they do not feel that way. And so really, even if Mahomes is incredible in in training camp and in preseason, he's probably at a 0% chance of getting that starting job. This is Alex Smith's job to lose. The Chiefs feel that they can get to a Super Bowl this year. They felt the same way last year, obviously fell short, and they fell short in large part because Smith wasn't good in the playoffs and really wasn't that good even by his standards throughout the regular season. So Mahomes... He's going to be the guy come 2018, but this year, it's not going to happen. Next year, Smith, look, the Chiefs can save $17 million by cutting him. They're going to have to do so. But Mahomes, he's not getting the keys to the Cadillac until that point. And when you move to the Bears, who have been a very puzzling team throughout the offseason, $45 million for Mike Lennon over three years. Granted, they can get out of the contract after this year and pay minimal money, but why would you spend $45 million on what is basically a lottery ticket when then you go and in the draft you trade up one spot, you give up three picks, which a team like the Bears, you need every pick you can get to try to reload and rebuild, and you do all that to get Mitchell Trubisky, who a lot of people, including yours truly, feels like is probably Andy Dalton if he turns out to hit his ceiling. He probably has the, the highest floor of the three first-round quarterbacks, but he probably also has the lowest ceiling of them. And so I don't understand what the Bears are doing in Chicago. Look, John Fox and general manager Ryan Pace, they're on the hot seat. If they do not perform better this year, and by better at least six, maybe seven wins, it's probably over, certainly for Fox, maybe for Pace. And so I think in training camp, it's going to be the best guy going. I, whoever is better out of Glennon and Trubisky is going to get that job. But I have serious questions as to why Pace didn't just keep Brian Hoyer. That seems like it would have made obvious sense if you knew you were going to get Mitchell Trubisky. So 
not really sure what's going on. I think a lot of people in Chicago are puzzled uh, as to what exactly happened. And again, I think of the three rookie first-round quarterbacks, Mahomes has no chance of starting barring injury. I think Trubisky has the best chance. And Watson, I think if he can outperform Savage, has a good shot at getting the starting job in Houston. And with us to talk more about the first quarterback situation we talked about, the Denver Broncos, is Benjamin Albright, NFL insider based out of Denver. And Ben, uh, how you doing? Doing great, brother. How about yourself? Not bad, not bad. Now, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I talked a little in the intro here about Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, the situation in Denver. And from everything that I've read and heard, it seems though as Lynch has a little bit of an advantage going to camp, people feeling maybe like he was good in OTAs in a mini camp. Is that the same sense you're getting out in Denver? Well, uh, he was always going to be challenging for the starting position in year two. Um, that was kind of the, the, the view when they drafted him. Um, you know, when they drafted him, he was a two-year project. They didn't think he was going to get in there year one. And the previous coaching staff really had an investment in Trevor Simeon, or at least a personal investment in Trevor Simeon. And that's kind of what got them removed, um, you know, to begin with. The new coaching staff was brought on. Bill Musgrave, Mike McCoy, coach. Those guys are noted quarterback developers. They were brought on specifically to develop Lynch. So, Early on in camp, first couple of days, looked like Simeon was the guy, but, you know, Lynch has kind of uh, picked everything up, and, you know, he, he looks to have the advantage moving forward, yes. If, for whatever reason, if Lynch doesn't start come week one against the Chargers, whether it be because he just looked poor in camp or he looked poor in the preseason or because Trevor Simeon surprises and elevates his game, should there be a real concern among Broncos fans as to the development of Paxton Lynch? Uh, yeah, I mean, there should be a concern. Um, you know, I think you would get one more chance the, the following year, and that would kind of, you know, determine where they go. I think they would also begin to look in the draft for a quarterback. I know, you know, everybody likes to point out that they drafted Chad Kelly, Mr. Irrelevant. But they have absolutely no plans for Chad Kelly. And if, you know, he happens to surprise, so be it. But he is not a factor in the Broncos' future at the quarterback position unless he just suddenly wows them all. You know, when you look at the AFC West this year, I think most people feel that the Raiders are poised to perhaps take the division over. Kansas City, of course, won the division last year, 12 wins. They should be right there. The Chargers, they have some real question marks, but also some talent. With Denver, it almost in an odd way, the team feels like it's half of a win-now team and half of kind of a trying-to-rebuild team. Do you think it factors into Vance Joseph's mindset of, hey, maybe we're not Kansas City and Oakland this year, maybe – even if Lynch is slightly less than Simeon at this point, we roll with him because we're not under the pressure of trying to win a Super Bowl as the Broncos always were, you know, when they have Peyton Manning in house. I would say part of that's correct and part of it's not. Under John Elway, you're always trying to win a Super Bowl. Uh, to give you an idea of how competitive John Elway is, Elway had a, a brand new pool table out to his house, had a couple of buddies out from the, you know, from the past and, you know, inaugural game on that pool table. Bubby Brister actually beat him in a game of pool. John Elway chopped the pool table down on the spot, threw it in the backyard and ordered another one. Uh, so that's how, that's how competitive he is when it comes to this kind of stuff. He wants to be winning Super Bowls every year. Um, and he wants to be, you know, competing for Super Bowls every year. So I think that, you know, when a coach may have that mindset of, hey, we're not a Super Bowl contender, whatever, uh, you know, with John Elway, that's going to be lurking in the background. Now, 
Elway does want Lynch to play. He traded up for him in the first round. He, you know, that's that's his guy. So, um, you know, he kind of butted heads with the previous staff because Trevor Simeon was their guy. So, um, you know, I think that Lynch is going to be given every opportunity. Um, you know, the coaches I've spoken to have all said that it's it's Lynch's opportunity to blow. So, um, that's that's kind of where that stands. Now, now, of course, you know we've talked a little about it. New coaching staff, new offense coming in with Mike McCoy. Of course, he he was already in Denver before taking over that head job. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. In, in San Diego, and I'm curious, you know, Garrett Bowles was the first-round pick, and he's a 25-year-old guy, so he comes in a little older than most first-round picks, but you look at the tape of him in Utah, he looks like he might have been the best offensive lineman out of what was a, a middling class at that position, but how do you see the Broncos' offense? Do you see the offenses improve from last year with the additions of both Bowles and, and Leary, or do you see it as, as a little bit more of the same and maybe just a little bit better on the line but really not different anywhere else? Well, I, I think that the Broncos' offense has all kinds of weapons to it. If you look, they've got some youth at the tight end position. Hireman, of course, has been hurt, but he was a weapon you know, when he was drafted. Uh, you've got Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas, which is a really good one-two combo at the at the wide receiver. And then in the, the running back position, it's just a question of health. You know, you've got C.J. Anderson, who can't stay healthy, Jamal Charles, who can't stay healthy, but both those guys, when they are, are pretty good. So there are skill position weapons in spades. It's a question of whether an offensive line can buy that quarterback time and whether or not that quarterback can execute. Um, I, I think the offensive line additions, for the most part, were good. Uh, not so keen on right now uh, looking at Donald Stevenson and Menelik Watson manning that right tackle position. That's, that's definitely a weak area. Uh, Tyson Bryant kind of in the mix there a little bit as well. Bowles will get the left tackle job. They just wanted to earn it. Um, so he'll he'll end up being the guy there. As far as his age at draft, um, yeah, that's that's kind of a concern. But you know, you got to recognize Andrew Whitworth also came into the league exact same age and had a pretty good career as well. So um, I know the Broncos had uh, had Bowles as the eighth best overall player in this draft on their board. Uh, getting him where they got him, they felt like they got a steal. So uh, they they figured to be improved. Uh, just a question of like I said, whether that line can stay healthy and buy on time, and then whether one of those quarterbacks can step up and execute. You, know, you brought him up, and I'm curious. You know, Jamal Charles, obviously the last couple of years, not been able to stay healthy. 30-year-old running backs tend to be injured more often than not. Do you think that he ends up making the 53-man roster? Oh, I definitely do. Um, <clears throat> CJ has kind of fallen out of favor with these coaches. This will be his last year here either way, uh, showing up overweight, work ethic, you know, maybe not where it should be. Uh, they hope having Jamal in there will help turn him around. But they also figure that it gives them the opportunity to run some split backfield without a shotgun. Uh, you have Anderson on one side, Charles on the other. Uh, you can run play action with CJ and then have Jamal get out there to the flat, you know, catching passes and, and creating in space, you know, what he does best with that speed. So uh, I, I think that uh, – I think he makes the roster. I think he uh, I think he has a, a large season, too. After talking to him, he wants revenge. He thinks Kansas City did him wrong, so he's he's kind of got a chip on his shoulder for that. So he's hoping for uh, uh, for 1,000 total yards this year, and uh, I think that's a tangible goal if he can stay healthy. 
You know what? If if he does that, Denver's going to really be helping out whoever's a quarterback, especially if it's Lynch, because last year that run game, once Anderson got hurt, really it could not generate much. And, you know, speaking of Charles, his old team made one of the oddest moves we've seen all year, firing general manager John Dorsey. From everything that I've heard, Brett Veach internally seems to be the guy that they're, you know, they're doing a few interviews here, but Veach is ultimately going to get this job unless he absolutely just blows the interviews. Do you hear the same thing out of Kansas City that Veach is going to be replacing Dorsey sooner rather than later? Yeah, and that's what I reported today that uh, the day that all this stuff came out. Um, you know, that, that Clark Hunt and Andy Reid were disappointed in the way John Dorsey had handled several things. Hunt, from the contractual end, um, you know, got paying Alex Smith before he paid Justin Houston cost him money on both players. Um, you know, not paying Eric Berry cost him goodwill with the team. Uh, Hunt actually had to step in to get that contract done. It cost him even more money. Uh, and then turning around and uh, instead of restructuring Macklin, who was willing to restructure, firing him via voicemail, basically, uh, you know, was, was just kind of a last straw for Clark Hunt, who's a very family-oriented guy and used the team as his family. So um, between him and Reed, Reed helped, uh, you know, facilitate that, uh, agreeing to a, you know, agreeing to an extension of a little lower Ready to pay than he would have, and uh, they're going to get uh, Reed hand that guy Beach in there. Now, last thing for for me, Ben, uh, Zach Orr shockingly really came back into the league last week. Everybody thought he was going to retire, never actually officially retired, and so the Ravens didn't tender him as a restricted free agent. Now he comes back; he's unrestricted. The Ravens have basically said, "Hey, he's a free agent now. You know, we're gonna we're gonna move on." He visited with the Lions last week. Do you think ultimately he does a deal with Detroit, or do, have you heard maybe another destination that Orr might end up? Well, I think his uh, you know his his team kind of played that smart. He didn't want to be in Baltimore anymore. The medicals, of course, you know, out there, but he didn't want to be in Baltimore anymore. So, not filing the retirement paperwork and and letting things play out the way they did, made sure he didn't get RFA tagged and uh, allowed him to go choose his destination. I think he's going to wind up in Detroit personally. Um, you know, and get a shot out there. But uh, you know, you never know. Somebody could swoop in and offer a boatload of money. We'll we'll see. Well, yeah, Ben, I, I really appreciate the time and the insight. I'm sure we'll be talking to you down the road. Absolutely, brother. Take care. So we heard Ben talk about the Broncos, a little bit Zach Orr, a little bit about the Chiefs. I agree with Ben. I think Orr is going to end up in Detroit. That was his first visit. Uh, hasn't had one since. And this being recorded on the Monday, July 3rd, uh, I, I think Orr probably weighing his options. Like He's a really good young inside linebacker. He's 25 years old, and he's somebody who's coming off the second-team All-Pro year. The medical, of course, it, it has to scare you a little bit. But I think ultimately some team, and I think it will be the Lions, going to take that shot. But interesting of Ben to talk about C.J. Anderson, this being his last year. Of course, you look at the contract, that's totally possible. But, you know, C.J. Anderson was given a large four-year deal. The Dolphins made that offer to him when he was a restricted free agent. John Elway matched at the last minute. A lot of people thought he might leave. And Anderson didn't work out well last year. And there's always been whispers about that he's a little bit out of shape. So now if Jamal Charles can come in and he can be healthy, boy, that would be a steal for Denver and a loss for Kansas City, which, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty right now at that running back position for the Chiefs. Spencer Ware, the incumbent, they've drafted Kareem Hunt out of Toledo in the third round. Can he get the job done as a rookie? Time will tell, but, uh, you know, Ben with some some great nuggets and, you know, follow him at, uh, at Albright NFL, Albright with two L's. You won't go wrong. He's terrific, um, and we thank him for his time. And now 
we bring on another guest, uh, fan-sided senior NFL editor Josh Hill. And every week we're going to have Josh on, and he's going to do a segment called Dying on This Hill. We're going to get uh, a prediction uh, going out of Josh. We're going to keep track of him. And then when it's inevitably a dumpster fire in November, we're going to bring him back on. We're going we're gonna to roast him. And if he's right, well, then uh, that's even more the reason you ought to listen to this show, okay? So... First things first, Josh, welcome to the show. Second of all, what is your dying on the hill and all real prediction? Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm going to come back in November and all of these are going to be correct. So that's going to be that. Uh, the first prediction that I have is a little bit close to home because I'm a Buccaneers fan, so I'm trying not to be a little biased about this. But Adrian Peterson in New Orleans, one of the things that everybody is saying is, oh, Adrian Peterson's going to come and he's going to fix things. Adrian Peterson's going to be the thing that makes this offense good again. And that's simply just not going to be the case. You don't get two rebirths in the NFL. You had, Adrian Peterson had the one in Minnesota when he was, after coming off that ACL tear. He was phenomenal. You know, that first game back against Detroit goes off for that huge run on his first carry. Everybody's like, Adrian Peterson's back. They're expecting that again in New Orleans. And it's not going to happen. And... It doesn't take a lot of research to find this out because the New Orleans Saints are built around Drew Brees. They're not a they're not a running team. They're a Drew Brees throwing team. So, do you think that there's enough room for? And it sounds like you don't, but for for Peterson and Mark Ingram because Mark Ingram is not a bad running back. Okay, granted, he's not you know he's not well Adrian Peterson in his heyday. Hmm. He's not a guy who's going to go 1,500 yards. But Adrian, or excuse me, but Mark Ingram is a good solid running back. So do you think that Ingram still holds that starting job or do you think at first they try to cede the job a little bit to Peterson? I think that Ingram holds the job. And the thing about Ingram is that he is basically going to provide what Adrian Peterson is going to provide. The dynamic for those other teams that Drew Brees had was you had Darren Sproles. You had to some extent Chris Ivory who could maybe, you know, be a pass catching running back. Something Adrian Peterson doesn't do, catch the ball. He never did it in Minnesota. He's not going to do it in New Orleans. And then you have, you know, Alvin Kamara coming off the rookie. He could be your pass-catching option. But if you look at the stats last year, uh, Ingram had 205 carries. Tim Hightower had 133 carries. You're living in a world where Adrian Peterson's Tim Hightower, essentially, in that, in that scenario. He's not going to get a majority of the carries. And, and frankly, uh, that, that's a world that nobody wants to live in, especially <laughs> the Saints or Adrian Peterson. But, you know, his first game back, regular season game anyway, a Monday night game against the Vikings. So the world will be watching. You know, I tend to agree with you. I think Peterson is is pretty much done at this juncture. You know, you always hear the talk in OTAs and minicamp about how good these guys look. Everybody's in the best shape of their life. Everybody's knee feels great. The reality of it is, you know, once you go through a month worth of training camp and a couple more weeks of practice, and then you get into week one, you know, I could see Peterson very much like Marshawn Lynch with the Raiders having a really good early start to the year. And then just wearing down because the pounding these guys are going to take over 16 games is considerable. And I, you know, I'm curious, you had some, some stats and we talked about Peterson in the passing game in New Orleans. And I, I, I think you know, that's where, you know, his value is really limited for a team that, as you point out, loves to throw the ball. Yeah, so in seasons where Drew Brees throws to his running back 60 or more times, or at least targets him, He's gone over 5,000 yards twice, and that was in 2013 and 2011. Both years, they went to the playoffs. They were 13-3 and three in 2011, coming off the Super Bowl year. And then they were 11-5 and five in 2013. And he did it in 2012, 
as well, but they went seven to nine that year because that was the weird bounty gate year. But the last three years, 2016, 15, 14, they've gone seven to nine in all of those years. And he targeted his running back 60 times or less. And he hasn't had a pass catching option in any of those years. He's had, you know, Ingram has been the main running back. So that's going to be the big problem with Adrian Peterson, I think. He's not going to be the pass catching option that they need. And essentially, he is an older version of what uh, Ingram is already providing. And that's not the dynamic that you need. So. For the Saints, this is a team that's gone seven and nine year after year after year, and I think if they finish seven and nine this year, the Saints might really be looking at the basement of the NFC South yeah. because the Buccaneers are better, the Falcons are defending NFC champions, and Carolina, after having a brutal year last year, you have to imagine they at least bounce back to some degree, mm-hmm. even if that's only maybe a nine and seven team. Do you think Peterson, at the end of the day, does he make any kind of dent in the NFC South race, or do you think by Thanksgiving, we basically forget that Adrian Peterson has a roster spot. I don't think that we're going to forget that Adrian Peterson has a roster spot. My micro prediction here is that he's probably going to come out and have a really good game against Minnesota because he's going to be running hungry. He's going to want to prove him wrong, and that's going to get everybody talking. Your narratives, oh, Adrian Peterson's back. The Saints offense is going to be bumping this year, and then they're going to get New England the next week. It's going to go off the rails, and then they have a tough schedule after that. They have the 16th best pass or uh, rush-protecting offensive line if you look at the stats they're built to protect drew Brees, and drew Brees is throwing to michael thomas willie sneed and ted Ginn jr so that's not going to be a very good offense especially if adrian peterson can't get it going which i don't think he's going to you really you have to wonder at some point when drew Brees hits the wall now quarterbacks are playing longer than they ever have before and they've maintained their brilliance longer than ever mostly because of the new rules that have come in the last 10 to 15 years and you see guys like tom brady 40 years old and He's literally playing as well, if not better, than he's ever played in his career. Breeze continues to throw for 5,000 yards annually. Mm. But you mentioned, look, they lost Brandon Cooks. And so now, you know, Michael Thomas is a really nice young player. But I don't know that Willie Sneed scares anybody. I don't know that Ted Ginn Jr. scares anybody. And now, you know, the tight end position in New Orleans, look, Kobe Fleener came in last year, and he was one of the bigger disappointments. Mickey Loomis signed him to a large deal, Mm. I believe five years, and it just didn't pan out, and that doesn't mean that he can't bounce back, but that position has been a little bit of a wasteland since, traded, since they traded Jimmy Graham a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So the Saints, ultimately, they're going to need some production out of that running game if they are to get back into the playoff conversation. But you feel you know Peterson won't be able to do that. What is your – if I had to put you on the spot and say, give me the amount of rushing yards Adrian Peterson has this year, what would you go with? I'm going to say that if he cracks over 1,000 yards, I'm going to be very surprised. And that's, you know, it might seem a little unfair, but if you look at where he has added his career and you look at that offensive line, the way that the offense is built and the way that they're probably going to be playing from behind if they can't, you know, get this offense working, he's not going to be in that scheme a lot and he's just not going to have a good year. I will say that there's a real opportunity to bet on the idea that he will not rush for 600 yards. I just think, you know, that offense, first of all, their defense is terrible. Mm-hmm. So they are going to play from behind a lot and or and or they're going to be throwing a lot to stay ahead because teams are constantly going to be scoring and getting closer and closer and closer. So I think there's there's definitely a scenario where Peterson, A, just flat can't run anymore. He's, he's well beyond 30 years old here. I mean, he's 32. This is not a, a spring chicken. I also think there's a scenario where Peterson just – just starts to break down and turns into a guy who's running for three yards a carry. I, I think, look, Peterson's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But typically, you know, if you think back over the course of history, these guys who end their careers going to one more stop, mm-hmm. 
it doesn't usually end well. And I, I, I really don't think Peterson is going to break that mold. No, and you, you look at Emmett Smith was the name that came to mind when I was looking at some of these stats. You know, had a great career, Hall of Fame career in Dallas. Goes to Arizona, it's the same thing. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, maybe he's going to work out in Arizona. This is going to turn things around. And it was a dud. And, you know, unfortunately, this happens with guys. He's a Hall of Famer, like you said, but he's on the, he's on the wrong side of his career, and I think it's done. Yeah. And, uh, Josh, I... How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. I actually agree with you. I was, I was hoping that we would be able to disagree and we could scream at each other for a little bit. But uh, this, isn't, uh, this isn't the hot take podcast. It's Stack in the Box. We try to be accurate. And so I appreciate your first stance of dying on this hill. And I will write it down and we will revisit this. And if you're right, well, then you're right. And if you're wrong, well, then we can make fun of you and we can forget that I agree with you. Uh, I'll bring the heat. Don't worry. My Skip Bayless takes are, I'm saving those for the regular season. Great, because that's what we need, more of Skip Bayless in all of our lives. We, uh, we appreciate Joshua coming on, senior editor at Fansided. Uh, make sure, of course, to check out boldfansided.com, which is also where I happen to work, and uh, check out Josh's work as well. And So we, we thank him, and, and personally, again, you know, I, I, think, I think Josh is right. Peterson is a guy that when you look at him, look, he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no question. He's arguably the best running back of his generation, right along, right along with LaDainian Tomlinson. Uh, you know, I think those two stand apart. But, you know, like everybody's time comes, and Father Time is undefeated. I, I think Peterson is going to struggle. It helps that he's indoors. It helps he's in a dome. You know, he's not going to have to play a lot of cold-weather games this year. You know, I think that helps some older legs maybe stay a little more spry. But you know, the Saints are a team that they're not big on on running the football. You know, when they were at their best, they were balanced. If you look through the years they won the Super Bowl, you know, that was a team that could run the ball with Pierre Thomas, even though people forget that. They always think of the aerial assault. But, you know, Peterson – if I'm Sean Payton, I'm thinking about Peterson saying he's getting the ball maybe 10 times a game because Mark Ingram is younger. Frankly, at this point, he's better. And I think, you know, you've got to ride that horse a little bit more than you do Peterson. Peterson, at this point, he's a change of pace back, and I think if he gets hot in a the game, then maybe you say, hey, let's let him run a little bit and let's see what happens. But uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be tough to see Peterson rushing for 1,000 yards in New Orleans. I think this is... This is probably you're looking at a swan song type of situation, and that's okay. Peterson has had one of the all-time NFL careers, but you know it's uh, it's probably coming to an end. And, and how poetic if it does in New Orleans, where his best Super Bowl opportunity it really it died in the Superdome, and, and frankly, you know, partially yes because of Brett Favre and that interception at the end of the game with Tracy Porter, but also Peterson and his fumbles in that game, and that was one bugaboo he's had his whole career. And it's something you never really was able to get under control. And, and it at least played a part in uh, his not being able to get to a Super Bowl. Never got back to another NFC Championship game. And it would be a stretch to think that the Saints are going to get there this year. You know, maybe the Saints, if everything breaks right, they're a playoff team. But that defense worries you. Drew Brees is older. Uh, it's it's going to be a challenge uh, for the Saints. And now we, you know, we'll move on and and really you know, look toward the future here the next couple of weeks before we get into training camp. And, you know, we talked about training camp battles with the quarterbacks. And 
you know, we talked with Ben Albright as well, and, and he feels that Paxton Lynch has the upper hand going into this camp battle with Denver. And, and you know, I, I think that's going to be one that we all watch. But I think also, uh, you know, there are some other positions around the league that deserve to get some attention. And I think one of them, maybe more so than any other outside of quarterback, is wide receiver. And, and you look around the league, and there are some guys who it's kind of a make-or-break year for them to some degree. And I think one of them for sure, is Sammy Watkins. You know, Sammy Watkins was drafted back in 2014. The Bills traded up, took him with the fourth overall pick. And I think there was this mindset of, hey, you know, we finally got our next Andre Reid. We got a guy who's going to be able to really be the focal point of the offense. And then, of course, uh, former GM at the time, the GM, Doug Welly, you know, traded Kiko Alonso. He got LaShawn McCoy in there. McCoy has been pretty good for the Bills, was excellent last year. Tyrod Taylor was signed. He's made a Pro Bowl, granted, as an alternate. And, and you know, look, Tyrod Taylor is not ever going to be a top 12 quarterback in the league. But Tyrod Taylor does give you something. And so the Bills have had a little bit of a nucleus of an offense going, but Sammy Watkins has not been able to stay healthy the last two years. He missed eight games last year. He missed three the year before that. And when he's been on the field, Sammy Watkins, by and large, has been productive. Although last year, after a slew of foot injuries – Eight games, 28 catches, 430 yards, and two touchdowns. That is not the kind of production that a number one receiver gives you, even in eight games. You would expect him at least to have you know, five, maybe 600 yards. Could not get there. In the years prior to that, had the 1,000-yard year in 2015, doing so in only 13 games. And as a rookie, had 982 yards, half dozen touchdowns. Sammy Watkins is one of the players to watch for sure because he is entering a contract here. The Bills declined his option. The Bills have had some salary cap issues over the last couple of years, which is really mind-boggling considering that the roster has not been worthy of having salary cap issues. And so that's part of the reason Doug Whaley's gone. Again, Brandon Bean is in, coming over from Carolina and, and being really a hand-picked guy by the new head coach, Sean McDermott, who, of course, also decoordinator over with the Panthers. But, you know, Sammy Watkins, if he has a big year this year, if he can stay healthy, play 16 games, put up 1,200 yards, you know, 10 touchdowns, something of that nature, Sammy Watkins is going to get paid. Okay, he's 24 years old. He is a very young player. I mean, there are rookies coming in. We talked about Garrett Bowles. Garrett Bowles is a first-round pick for Denver. He's older now than Sammy Watkins is, and Sammy Watkins going into his fourth season with the Bills. So if Watkins can get his act together in terms of just staying on the field, giving a solid 16 games, you're looking at a guy who's going to get 50, 60 million in, in free agency next year. Because I think a lot of people are going to say, this is an athlete. Now, this is a guy, he's a, he's a tall receiver, six foot one, he's 215 pounds, a big body guy. He's shown an ability to go up and get the jump ball. He's also a guy who can outrun a defender. I don't think Watkins is in that elite category. And even if he has another great year, or even has a great year, really it would be his first great year, I don't think you're looking at him and saying, man, that's a guy who's in that rare air category. That being said, free agency is all about best available, and he will certainly be one of the best available. So I look to watch him in training camp in Western New York. If Sammy Watkins can come in and dominate this year, the Bills are either going to have to back up the Brinks truck make him a franchise tag player, which is certainly plausible. That could happen. Or the Bills are going to lose his services. And if that happens, you got to wonder, 
why are the Bills even bothering drafting good players? Because the Bills have lost player after player after player Okay, over the last five, six years that they've drafted, Stephon Gilmore being the poster child for that goes to New England of all places. So that is one guy to watch this year. I'm very curious to see how it plays out with Buffalo, with Sammy Watkins. Okay, Another guy, and this is a different kind of a watch, but Odell Beckham Jr., look, no question. He is, if not the best receiver in football, top two. Okay, He and Antonio Brown, they're in their own class. Now, Beckham is an extremely talented player. Nobody would doubt that. Of course, came in the same class as Sammy Watkins. In fact, the Bills could have had Odell Beckham, but they they traded up and decided to take Watkins instead. Beckham started LSU, goes to Giants. He's had three incredible seasons, three of the best years we've seen in recent memory, and really the best three years to start a career in NFL history. But Beckham is a guy who he's got to mature a little bit. Everything you hear coming out of the Giants, everything you hear coming out of New York is stuff about how he's got to be more of a leader. He's got to start to take over that role. And I think Brandon Marshall coming in was every bit as much of teaching how to be a pro as it was just production. Look, Victor Cruz no longer there. Okay, He was the veteran of that group. Now Brandon Marshall comes in. Two years, $12 million, Okay. He's going to be the guy who tries to show Odell Beckham Jr. the way. And there have been mixed reviews on Brandon Marshall in the locker rooms, but everybody always says, look, Marshall's grown up considerably since leaving Denver early on in his career. Okay, he has been somebody who once he figured out that he was dealing with some mental health issues, a borderline personality, things of that nature, Marshall's really become a different guy, and he's stayed a great player. This is going to be a key acquisition for the Giants, and let's face it, the Giants are trying to be a Super Bowl team right now. Eli Manning's not getting any younger. Brandon Marshall, he's not getting any younger. They have a Super Bowl caliber defense. Steve Spagnuolo, he's not a good head coach, but he's a hell of a defensive coordinator. Okay, so the Giants, they feel like they can make a push. They beat the Cowboys twice last year. So there's a real thought that, hey, we're good enough, but Odell Beckham Jr., he's got to take that next step from a maturity standpoint. You can't be having parties on a boat six days before a playoff game. Now, do I think that's the reason the Giants lost that game? No, it's not. The Giants lost that game because the Packers were just a better team and they were hot as heck going into that game. But it's a bad look and it doesn't help and you don't need that kind of a distraction. Then Odell goes and, and punches stuff in the locker room. Look, you can't have it. You can't have it. He's got to be better. And if he's not better... It's a real problem for the Giants. Yes, he's going to give you his 1,500 yards and 10 touchdowns, and that's all fantastic. And ultimately, yes, bottom line, that's what matters. But it also does matter that he's immature, especially in New York, because they will rip him apart. If he played in the Midwest, he played in the middle of nowhere, it would be fine, or at least more fine than it currently is. He'd get away with more of it. He's not getting away with it in New York. And so last receiver I want to talk about, and then we'll wrap up here. And I want to thank you again for listening to the inaugural edition of Stacking the Box here with myself, Matt Verderam. Want to talk about John Ross. He was the second receiver taken in the draft. Corey Davis went fifth overall to the Titans. Okay, The Bengals, they took Ross at nine. He had the fastest 40 time in the combines. All everybody wants to talk about. But those 40 times... They're fine 
And they fit a little piece of the puzzle, but they're not everything. Now, Ross had some injuries at Washington, including a blown knee, okay? He's not the biggest guy. I mean, John Ross is somebody who you have to be a little bit concerned at the NFL level. Can he stay healthy? If he can, all of a sudden, the Bengals have some real pieces offensively, okay? And the Bengals had lost some. Marvin Jones, gone. Mohamed Sanu, gone. Tyler Eifert, of course, still on the team, but really had a down year last year after hurting his ankle at the Pro Bowl. Never seemed like he got right. And so the Bengals really, you know, Jeremy Hill kind of mysteriously just fell off the face of the earth. Giovanni Bernard has really been, along with A.J. Green, the lone weapons for Andy Dalton. And now you bring in John Ross, who, look, he ran a 4-2-2-40 at the Combine, okay? Everybody knows that he's going to be an elite vertical threat. But the questions are, he's 5'11", he's 190 pounds. That is tiny in the NFL for an outside receiver. Now, he may be able to put on some weight and not lose too much speed. Maybe he gets to 200 pounds over the next year or two here. But you also have to be concerned. Like, he tore an ACL back in 2015. And he is somebody who you feel like is a real boom or bust candidate. Now, if he booms, you've got an excellent one-two punch with both he and Green. Green already one of the best deep ball threats in the league. Dalton, for all of his perceived flaws some of them real some of them I feel exaggerated Andy Dalton can throw the deep ball and he's not afraid to do it and so the Bengals do have nice play designs in terms of getting the ball down the field and that's why they drafted Ross he fits perfectly with everything that they do but I, I think if if you're the Bengals you have to hope that Ross can play 16 games year in and year out because I think the biggest concern and this is why he's boomer bust is can he play 16 games or is this going to be a guy who plays a month, misses a couple of weeks, plays another month, misses a few more weeks? The Bengals and the Ravens are two teams that really could challenge Pittsburgh if things break right. The Steelers are an excellent team. They're the front runner in the North. But the both teams are experienced. They have some pieces. And by the way, speaking of receivers, just to add one more quickly to the mix, Brashad Perriman. Okay, Brashad Perriman... He missed his entire rookie season last year. Didn't do much early. Came on stronger as the year started to end. But then the Ravens went out, and they added, just in June, they added Jeremy Macklin. Okay, and you have to wonder, did they add Jeremy Macklin because they feel like, hey, he's going to play a lot in the slot, and we're going to have Mike Wallace and Bashad Perriman outside? Or did they add Jeremy Macklin because they just don't feel very confident in what Perriman's giving them? Again, missed the first season with a knee, okay, last year, 33 catches, 499 yards, and a trio of touchdowns. There's potential there. But there's also this idea that, hey, this is going to be your third year. Now you have to do something. And signing Jeremy Macklin, it, it, it's not a big vote of confidence for Bashad Perriman. And I think if the Bengals or the Ravens are going to take over the AFC North, they're going to really battle for that division with Pittsburgh. You've got to be able to get some production out of those guys. Because if there's one weakness the Steelers have, the corners are not good. Okay, you can throw the ball on the Steelers. Both teams, of course, though Baltimore and Cincinnati have offensive line issues, and the Steelers do generate pressure, so that is a question mark. But if you can protect, even if you have to keep in the tight end, the back, what have you, if Perriman and Ross can give these teams something – the AFC North becomes much more interesting. If not, 
then I think Pittsburgh really runs away with the division. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. That is everything we have for you on Stacking the Box first time. I really appreciate you listening. We'll be doing it every week. Show's going to be uploaded in the offseason on Tuesdays most of the time. If that changes, of course, we'll let you know. This week, of course, coming to you on Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed it. We welcome any and all feedback. Please go to iTunes and subscribe. Uh, Again, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do this all throughout the year, and we're going to have great guests. We're going to have great segments, and we're going to have really smart dialogue. We're going to have fun dialogue, but it's going to be intelligent. It's not going to be a bunch of hot take nonsense, and we hope that in this time of constant hot takes, screaming to be louder than somebody else, We hope to just give you something that makes you a little bit smarter. And if you already are that smart, and it certainly isn't hard to be much smarter than I am, then hopefully it gives you something to enjoy throughout your week. So thank you very much. This has been Stacking the Box. I am Matt Verderam, and we will talk to you next week. Jamie's Log. Progressive. The Harrington's Backyard, day 11, 4.43 a.m. The tent I set up in the Harrington's Backyard to prove Progressive has 24-7 protection has a rip in it. But a little rain won't stop me. Mrs. Harrington says she totally understands 24-7 protection means 24-7. Gonna stay a few more days to make sure. It's hailing now. That's fun. Progressive doesn't just offer a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection. Just not literally from Jamie. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.